I want you to join with me for a few lines if you know it. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Listen to y'all, you're good. Uh, oh, and mistletoe, I forget the words, if only in my dreams, right? Okay, you all know it better than I do. But <clears throat> Elf would be proud of all of us, right? Because the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. But I think about that song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. That word home, I think that's a heart word, right? What is it that makes home home? I, I look at that house right there. It looks like it might come from a Hallmark movie. What makes home home? Is it the, the size of the house? Is it the beautiful lights? The, the white Christmas? Lots of presents under the tree? Do those things, as nice as they are, make home home? No, what makes home home? Love, right? Family. Whether it's blood family or friend family, church family, it's that place where you're, you're loved and you're welcomed. You're, you're no longer an outsider, right? It's family. Some of my favorite pictures, you guys have seen them. I love pictures of when soldiers... Uh, come home from being overseas. You, you can't look at those, especially at Christmas time, without just having a warm feeling inside as they, they meet their, their spouse or, or their kids. No, no picture says it's all about relationships more than that. I think about our desire for home. I think about our desire not to be an outsider. And I think about a group in the Christmas story that we heard about in the readings tonight. Think about the shepherds. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but many looked at the shepherds in ancient Israel as outsiders. Even though they uh, performed uh, an important task of watching over sheep for sacrifices, uh, they were often unclean, which kept them from attending religious services. They had cuts, they, they had manure on them, they had insects flying around. They were unclean. I think it may have come as a shock to them in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That tells us there was some shock there. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And I, I imagine the shepherds wondering, did the, the, the angels get the wrong address here? <laughs> like, you sure that was supposed to come here? Like, not the palace downtown Jerusalem? But they obeyed. They obeyed. Verse 15 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby 
who was lying in the manger. And I, I think about that moment right there. Just if we could pause time and think about what's going on in their hearts. After likely being excluded from many a religious service and event, I think standing in the presence of the must have felt like coming home. Must have felt like coming home for them. So much so that they couldn't keep it to themselves. You see, when you find a taste of real home in your life, it, it has a way of, of overflowing. Do you notice their response? Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They tasted home that night. But I think about this desire for home, and I just want to trace it real briefly through the Bible. I think it started at Eden. You go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, and you think for a minute of what Adam and Eve had there before sin, before the fall. In addition to having a five-star garden with, with anything they could have possibly wanted to eat besides meat. They also had purpose, which is something people long for, right? God told them, hey, on my behalf, you rule over the earth. What, what a purpose they had. But they had something even deeper that made it home. They had a perfect, perfect relationship with each other. I mean, think about Genesis 2.25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Some of my boys were in Sunday school, and they liked the way one of our Sunday school teachers with a southern accent said that. They came home, and they said, our teacher said, naked. <laughs> Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's what the boys locked in on. But I, I want to think about what's really being said, said in this passage. They were who they were, and they were unafraid to be who they were. They were totally accepted by one another. No hiding. It's, it's hard to even imagine, isn't it? No hiding physically, no hiding who I am emotionally or, or otherwise. Perfect relationship. And even better, they had perfect relationship with God. Unhindered, perfect relationship with their creator. Think about Genesis 3, 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Just think about that. Moses writes as though it was a normal thing. Evidently, it was normal for God to walk in the garden <laughs> to hang out with, with Adam and Eve. But this particular day in Genesis chapter 3 was different. It was different. It says they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Why were they hiding? They had sinned. They had rebelled against his one command not to eat from that tree. Even in their sin, God pursued them. Where are you? Sin had consequences. They ha had shame now. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Where before there was 
perfect fellowship. There's, there's this wall between them and God. There's also a wall between them as they started blaming each other for what had happened and passing the blame on. It goes on, and one of the most tragic parts of that story, because of their rebellion, they were forced to leave their home in the Garden of Eden. Verse 23 of Genesis 3, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. How tragic. You you see the picture of this angel blocking the way to paradise. Never since then, ever since then, it is sin, your sin, my sin, that separates men and women from each other and from that perfect relationship with God. It keeps us from experiencing the fullness of home as we long for it. Now, I want to fast forward from Eden to talk to you about a son. It comes from Luke chapter 15. The whole chapter is in a setting where the religious leaders in Israel were ticked off because Jesus received sinners and and ate with them. And Jesus told three stories. The, The first one was about a shepherd that left 99 sheep to pursue the one lost one. The the second one was about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one and she swept and she swept and she swept until she found that one coin. The third one I want to focus on was about a son. A son. Luke 15 says, The younger of the son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Do you understand how insulting that was? I was basically saying, I wish as that was his inheritance that was supposed to be his after dad's dead. I care about your money more than I care about you. How, how insulting. He should have waited till his father died. His father went ahead and divided the property between them. Not many days later, Luke says, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Talk about a desperate place. Talk about being far from home. And and this story reminds us that sin is not only rebellion, it's lifting the Father's gifts above the Father in our lives and misusing those gifts, as this young man did. He's sitting there eating pig food. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came 
to his father. And we see him rehearsing this throughout the story. If, if you read the whole thing, he had this speech ready. He said, hey, maybe if I go home, dad will just hire me as a worker. He expected nothing more than that. He dared expect nothing more than that after he had done. Man, these words in Luke, I love that middle picture there. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Some of you know this was a society where old men did not run. Today, some of them run marathons, right? Running was beneath their dignity in their old age. But this father, this father couldn't wait. And the son starts into his practice speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he can't even finish it. He can't even finish his rehearsed speech about being a worker. Because the father interrupts. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And here you see God's heart for lost sinners, sinners away from home. Hey, why did Jesus come as a baby at Christmas? Well, those precious words in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To bring him home. I think about the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. At one stanza, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. I don't know how that last line hits you. I always assumed it was one way and it was this week I was reading an author that enlightened me because she had felt the same way. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I always thought, hey, the soul felt the worth of the Savior coming down from heaven. But she explained, and many others have, that when it says, till he appears and the soul felt its worth, that's when the human soul realizes how much that soul is worth to a father who would send his son to save that soul. The soul felt its worth that God would send his son to redeem that soul. I think about home and I fast forward again to a wedding feast where all of God's will attend. You go to Revelation 19. Just one verse here, verse 9. The angel said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And, and I don't think the coolest part about this feast is going to be the food. I think it's going to be the fellowship. I think it's going to be the fellowship. 
fellowship is spoken of in Revelation 21.3 takes us back to the garden in our minds. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You talk about home. And maybe you're here this Christmas and you're saying, that sounds wonderful. How do I get there? How do I get there? I want to go there. Philip asked a similar thing in John 14 when Jesus said he was going to go away and prepare a place. You remember Jesus' answer in John 14, 6? He didn't point to this road or that road or do this, do that. He said, I am the way. I am the way. Philip, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. I, I think about that, and I think about the other day. Our six-year-old Luke wanted me to go with him to find a, a toy, and I was on the couch, and I just wanted a straight shot to get there, so I said, where is it? He said, follow me. I said, where is it? I just wanted to go get the toy. He said, follow me. For him, it was an invitation to walk with him to get the toy, right? That's what I hear Jesus saying. It's not just about the destination. Home is not just the destination. It's the relationship along the way. And that's how it had always been through Scripture, right? Think about old Abraham, <laughs> Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. House, I didn't mean to say it like that. And your father's house, go to the land that I will show you. What did that require? An ongoing walk and relationship with God, right? I even think about early in Jesus' ministry when some of John the Baptist's disciples, John chapter 1, they looked at Jesus and said, teacher, where are you staying? Guess what? He didn't give them an address to GPS. And not just because there was no GPS. You know what he said to them? He said, come and you will see. That was an invitation to walk with him to where he was staying. On. Think about John, the gospel author. His, his Christmas account doesn't get as much coverage as the other guys. But I think about this idea of home. And I think John chapter 1 brings it home as clearly as any of the gospel accounts. You think about John 1, 1, about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then this startling statement, if you were to read it for the first time, we get used to, to wonderful, majestic truths. John 1.14, the Word became flesh. That's what we're talking about at Christmas. This baby in a manger, the Word became flesh. And, and you say, Why? Well, for the answer to that, I go to Hebrews chapter 10. In that chapter, the, the son says to the father, 
a body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come to do your will. And Hebrews 10.10 says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The word became flesh, was, was born among us that he might die for, for your sins and my sins. I love that lyric in Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that the child you delivered will soon deliver you? John goes on, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You could translate that, he tabernacled among us. He, he pitched his tent among us. He set up camp among us. He also says in that chapter, in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I think about this, and I want Joshua to pull up our final slide. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and I summarize it like this. Jesus came down to our home to invite us to join him at his. That's a beautiful message of Christmas. Have you received that invitation? I hope so. Merry Christmas. That is the good news of Christmas. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, made his home among us, that we might become children of God through faith in him. The wonder that this baby in a manger was God and man and would be lifted up on a cross with my sin and the sins of each one in this room. As we prepare to sing that old carol, Silent Night, Lord, may you move our hearts outside of that manger and outside of that stable, the hill of Calvary, to an empty tomb, to a Savior who ascended and sits at your right hand, Savior who was made flesh. He came to seek and save the lost and bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen.